I think you have to embrace and have fun with the process um, and understand it's a process. You know, kids are going out looking for exposure, you know, freshman, sophomore years. If you had told me that Heather was going to play at Missouri and Jess was going to play at Stanford when they were sophomores in high school, I would have laughed. You know, it would have been like, there's no way. But it happened because they just kept working and developing. And so it worked for them. Welcome to the Car Ride Home podcast. I'm excited uh, to have Derek Allister with me today, co-founder, and I'm going to read through this stuff and we'll talk a lot about it, but co-founder of On Deck Softball with your wife, Joanne, chairman of the USA Softball Junior National Team Selection Committee, former Division One and high school college basketball coach. I'm going to ask you some, some old coaching. I think important dad to KJ, Heather, and Jessica, also grandfather now to an up-and-coming class of 2041 uh, granddaughter. Derek, welcome to the Car Ride Home podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate <laughs> all the kind words. And I'm just going to throw in a little plug for Aspen. She's only three and a half months old, but 2041, I'm thinking she's going to be a shortstop or center field. Okay, don't want her to pitch. I already sat down with Nestle and KJ and said, no pitching, no pitching. Um, yeah, we're thinking she might be left-handed. Not sure, but, you know, we're already starting to train. Well, we're going to talk about your eye for talent. So I'm going to trust whatever you say. And if you're already identifying at three and a half months, then... Uh, Aspen Alistair, let's keep her keep her on the radars. And just remember, Derek, maroon is a great color and Texas A&M is a great <laughs> Absolutely. We love the Aggies. All our years yeah. down, down in Texas. I want to start Aggies. first, Derek. We always set the stage. It's the car ride home. So we got to set the stage. We're in the car. What kind of music are we listening to if we're in the car with, with Derek Alistair? You know, it changes. Bruce Springsteen's my guy. You know, I just went to Charlotte for a concert, a Springsteen concert, but but that's kind of just me, me and Bruce. You know, family's in there. Jason Isbell, a country rock guy out of Georgia. He's like one of my newest. But, you know, what my family makes fun of me for is I'm a big Lady Gaga fan. I just think Lady Gaga is the greatest. I listen to her stuff. Um, just came across Hold My Hand. Oh, about six months ago, hold my hand. I listen to that all the time. Um, yeah. So Jason Isbell when the family's in the car, Bruce and Lady Gaga when I'm alone. So great. How many Bruce Springsteen concerts have you been to? Only two. Only two. You know, I was supposed to um, go to a concert of his in Oakland um, back in the Born in the USA tour. And I was at Cal at the time coaching basketball. I really worked um, to get like two big time seats. And we were like 21 rows from the stage in the Oakland Coliseum. And something came up that night and I couldn't go. Joanne and I couldn't go. And so I ended up having to give those tickets to my basketball manager, Ron Tiango, who I just saw last weekend. He brought up that whole scenario said I was the hero of his life because that rascal went from just going back to his dorm room to study to the Bruce Springsteen concert, 21 rows center stage, you know, for the Born in the USA tour. So um, then there were many years in 2016, I went to, to Minneapolis and watched him there on the river tour, so. That's, that's awesome. I love it. Well, I think he owes you then. Maybe he'll get you a Lady Gaga concert. Ooh, you know, I want to, but my children say, no, Dad, that might be a little too far out there. <laughs> you know what? We're, we're going to keep that one in mind. What about another important topic in the car ride home? Where are we eating on our car ride home? Depends upon whether we won or lost. Um, if we win, we're going to eat. Well, if we lose, it's Del Taco or In-N-Out, quick. So, no, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, yeah, we like to eat now. You know, Derek Allister likes to eat. So, um, you know, we, we like good Italian, um, love sushi, you know. But if we're in a hurry, it's going to be In-N-Out if we can. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. All right. Well, you've been, and we're going to hit on the multiple hats that, that you've worn, but I want to go back to, to you as a, as a dad, um, and the car ride home, you know, one of the reasons, and I say this in, in every episode, but it, it's important, right? And it's more about the, the conversation and the interaction between the athlete and the parent. And sometimes the parent is the dual role of the coach as well. And it, it can be really, you know, an important time. Um, we've heard some great stories along the way too, of just memorable car ride homes. I'm curious if, if you put your dad hat back on, is there a car ride that sticks out to you, whether good, bad, a learning moment? Um, what's a memorable car ride home for you? Yeah. Um, this is a bad one. Um, we had just moved to Texas. I had gotten a job with Stephen F. Austin and the girls were, Heather was in eighth grade. I believe Jessica was in sixth grade. Um, they were brand new to the Texas softball scene. And, um, they were playing on kind of a rec, rec ball team in between the travel season. And Jess was catching. It was a big game for like the league championship, you know, whatever. Um, she was only 10 years old. No, I, maybe 11, 10 or 11. And um, there was a play at the plate. And... The umpire called the runner safe. Jess was catching. And dad here went a little sideways, um, yelled out some things. And, you know, it was one of those moments that you see all the time. Well, game got over. And I think Jess's team won. They usually did. Uh, <coughs> and we got in the car. And Jess said, dad. Now, she's only 10 or 11 years old. But if you know her, you know, you can imagine. That. She goes, dad. And I go, yeah. And she goes, I never want to see you do that again. And I was like, yell. And she goes, I never want you to do that again. And I went, okay. And from then until through her travel ball career, I watched from the outfield because it was just too intense down there at home plate, you know. And um, I would go out to the outfield and that was more relaxing and you know, we just sort of had fun. I didn't argue balls and strikes. Um, didn't worry about the little things. Just watched the game. And finally, when she was at Stanford, I finally watched a game from behind the plate again. And I went as far down the line after that as I could. Because, again, it was too intense. You know, just didn't like being that involved. Uh, but, yeah, that little 10 or 11-year-old, I'll never forget. I can picture it today. Dad. I never want you to do that again. Okay, you got it, kid. Well, and for context to your daughter, Jessica, who's now the head coach at, at Stanford, uh, played at Stanford, very mm -hmm. high-level competitive, and we're, we'll talk about that too, but painting that picture of 10-year-old Coach Alistair, Jessica Alistair, uh, yeah. telling you that, I could see her saying that now as well. It makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if you know her, you can picture her saying, you know, if I told that story to her players at Minnesota or Stanford, they would have said, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. What's your, and, and that's a great story too, because I'm sure a lot of parents can relate as well. And, and probably a lot of kids too, of, of having that tough conversation with their parent. Now that you get to step back and, and you, you know, have a different lens, what advice do you have for parents when, hey, the tournament didn't go so well and my kid didn't play very well and clearly, and I'm sure young Jessica was probably very similar to myself. We're already very hard on ourselves too. What advice do you have to softball moms and dads on how to handle those situations? Yeah, there was a great basketball coach named Sonny Allen who um, was coaching at Nevada. And then the staff that I was on with a gentleman named Len Steve, um, we replaced Sonny. And Sonny was a great coach at Old Dominion and then Nevada. And curiously, he told me this, and it didn't really sink in when I was younger, but it makes all the sense in the world now. He would never talk to his team after a game, win or lose. They would go into the locker room and he would simply say, okay, guys, we have practice tomorrow at whatever time or film or whatever. He would give them the schedule and then he would leave. And the reason he said he did that is he never wanted to say something positively or negatively um, that he would regret or that he couldn't back up with tape. And so... Um, so he would just go into the locker room, end that day, 
and, uh, and, and move on because he felt that, you know, 18, 24 hours later, um, after watching tape, he'd be in a much better place to address, to address the team. And I didn't really embrace that as a young father. I didn't embrace it until later in my coaching career. Um, but having not coached now for, oh, about 15 years, um, and then watching so much go on in the softball world, I would definitely embrace that. If I got in the car, I would just say, we're not going to go there. You know, maybe a win, you can talk about the great play, or, you know, obviously if Heather or Jess hits a bomb to win it, or, you know, I, obviously those are different circumstances. But um, certainly if it's a volatile moment, you know, I just wouldn't go there. I'd wait till the next day when everything cooled down. Makes sense. <laughs> it made me think of, uh, I'll never forget at A&M, Coach Evans always had amazing post game. She's real even keel and she just always, you know, said what was on her mind. The most memorable post game is the one where she said nothing. And that's when we all were like, uh-oh, <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. Because she didn't say anything. And we were having a pretty rough sophomore season. But I'll, it's funny you said that. My head immediately went to that locker room moment there. Because as players, you know, you know what you did bad, but you did well. You know if you came prepared for the game. You know, you probably don't need to be told that at that moment. Um, that can be pointed out later on, you know, a little later, a day or so later. Um, so there's no sense in really going. Uh, no. That's my view. Well, Derek, I want to go back. Uh, I'm going to make you talk talk about yourself a little bit and go back to the roots. And because we're, we're going to dive into scouting and player evaluation and, and different things that you're involved in. But I want to go back to the, the very beginning um, of just your childhood and how that has shaped you and, and you know, what were your sports? What was what was childhood like for, for Derek Alistair? Wow. Nobody's really I'm learning asking. here. <laughs> um, I grew up the son of a teacher. Um, my father actually um, was recruited to play football at the University of Georgia. He was from Connecticut. And, uh, but he had to go serve in the war. And um, when he got out, he went to the University of Arizona. And that's where he met my mom, put away the sports and, you know, went to teaching. Um, we grew up playing all the sports. Um, I quickly realized football wasn't for me the first time I got run over by a future Big Ten quarterback, running quarterback who crushed me. Um, I loved basketball. Pete Maravich was my idol. Um, I loved tennis. So in high school, I played basketball and tennis. Went on to play a couple years of college basketball before I quit school because um, I thought I had fallen in love, but I hadn't. And um, quit school, you know, and then got away from basketball, started playing volleyball, stuck with the tennis. And then the first year out of college, um, looking for my own teaching job, a friend asked if I'd help coach. And so I helped coach that year and really liked it and um, just kind of took off from there. Interesting. See, I, I had never asked that. Pistol Pete. I actually, I know who Pete, right? Did I get that correct? Pete yeah, Maravich? Pistol Pete Maravich. I, yeah. My dad, I grew up watching all sports. So I, like a yeah, historian. Greatest scorer, greatest scorer in college basketball history. What, uh, can you talk about what, what that was like when, so you, the, the various stops that you had, and at this time you have a family too, and, and kids who are actively involved in sports. What was that like of juggling between being a college basketball coach and, and working with these college athletes while also coming back home and, and, you know, having your own kids play youth sports? What was that experience like of balancing both? Well, First of all, I, on that question, I have to give shout-outs to Joanne. Um, you know, she obviously kept it together and um, did a lot of that stuff. In looking back, I think I was around and present. Um, people tell me that I was. Um, probably the truth always lies in the middle. So while I might think that I wasn't as involved as I could have been. People tell me that I was very involved. Joanne tells me she did a lot of that work. 
So, you know, the truth probably lies in the middle. And I was around some, wasn't around quite as often as maybe I would hope at this point in my life. But it was hard. Um, you know, a lot of things that we went through as a family, moving um, to different spots, those, those were tough things. And in looking back, you go, you know, those were good things because they made our children very resilient and strong. And I believe that strong women, uh, I, I believe in creating strong women and giving them a real sense of purpose and um, everything. So, so I think there were a lot of benefits. But, you know, when you're in eighth grade, it's tough to pick up and leave all your friends and move halfway across the country. And we realized that. You know, but, but fortunately, our kids adapted well. I think we were sensitive to that. So we worked hard to try to help them through those moments. You know, but, but it wasn't all fun and games. You know, it sounds good being a Division One basketball coach, but, but it was hard. There were a lot of hard moments. You know, I was part of a couple staffs that got released. And then all of a sudden, you're looking for another job. Um, that's got to be a tumultuous time for a kid, too. But then there were great moments. Um, when we were in Nevada, uh, they had parents' day at Heather's school. And so I went. I actually had time off, and I went. And um, the TV cameras that were there recognized me because I was the top assistant. And so they followed me and Heather for the TV news and everything. And it was so funny because one of the, um, well, the TV anchor or lady or whatever, she talked to Heather and said, well, do you have a picture of your dad in your locker? And she goes, oh, yeah, I've got a picture of my dad in my locker. And they said, well, let's go see it. And so here we go all walking to the locker. I'm feeling pretty good, you know, thinking, wow, my daughter's got a picture of me in her locker. She opens up her locker, swings it open, and here's a picture of this kid I recruited named Eric Morris, who was a high-flying kid out of Houston. He's dunking over somebody, and I'm like this tiny figure in the background sitting on the bench. And the TV cameras are there, and she's very proudly saying, see, I got a picture of Dad right there. You know, so we had great moments, too. Um, the kids got to go to Final Fours. They got to meet people that other People don't really get to meet. So there were great moments, but there were tough moments too. That's that's really cool. I uh hey, to her that, that picture meant something, right? I had this question because I, I gotta know, how many technical fouls did you get in your career and were you ever ejected as a coach? I was ejected one time in a high school game. And um I actually probably didn't deserve that one. Um there were other times when I might have deserved it and didn't. But I, I got my share of technical fouls, but I like to think they're calculated. We were, we were at Stephen F. Austin and playing Southwest Texas, who's now Texas State at the time. And Southwest Texas was the best team in the league. They were very physical. A guy named Jeff Foster, who was a great player, played in the NBA. They were coached by Mike Miller. And it was the last game of the year, and we had to win it to finish fourth. And so as we were walking down the, um, the tunnel at home, I told my staff, I said, listen, the first time Jeff gets a little crazy, you know, and rocks one of our guys or gets a little physical, I'm going to go ballistic. I go, I know what I'm doing. Don't stop me, you know, but I'm going to push it right to the edge. And so the game's going about five minutes in, six minutes in, Jeff kind of rocks one of our guys, knocks him down right in front of our bench. It was perfect. Um, I go absolutely crazy. I'm yelling at the officials, stomped my foot, took my jacket off and threw it. Um, you know, Mark Whitehead, a great official, I'll never forget, he was standing there and he said, Derek, I'm not going to throw you out. And I almost laughed at that point in time, but I kept going on my rant. And what it did was it fueled our guys. Our guys got fired up. And um, we ended up rolling. We beat them by like 18. And, uh, and it was a good moment. So, you know, I, I like to think those moments were calculated. Probably some weren't. 
Um, but yeah, I have my share. I, I can go sideways pretty quick if I need to. Um, but I try not to in my old age. I just, I like have this, I can't even picture it. I wish there was uh, some YouTube clips because like, you're so calm now all the time. I'm like, I need to see, <laughs> I need to see Derek in action. I want to pause for a minute to tell you about the Alliance Fast Pitch. The Alliance Fast Pitch is a national league system for amateur softball. I like to think of us as the pathway to play and the pathway to develop. If you're a youth softball coach or parent of a youth softball player, we know at the end of the day, you just want what's best for your daughter. But sometimes it's hard to figure out where to go or where to start. We're here to help you with that and to make your job easier. Softball is an important part of your life, but it's only a small part of your life. Think of the Alliance Fast Pitch as your one-stop shop for everything. Build your fall, spring, summer schedule tournaments inside your region. Compete on a level playing field to earn your national championship berth. Join a community of fellow youth softball coaches, parents, and athletes. Check out our national leaderboards for all ages. Understand where your daughter stacks up compared to her peers inside a region or even nationally. Help your daughter get recognized nationally through our player recognition programs and get access to all of the discounts and benefits of being an annual Alliance member. We brought the best in the industry into one home so we can provide softball families with access to the best resources at a more affordable price. We built the Alliance Fast Pitch on two principles, collaboration and putting the athlete first. Together, we can grow. Together, we can do better for our athletes. Be a part of the fastest growing softball community. We're here to make your life easier and your experience in softball better. Join us today. Join the Alliance Fast Pitch by going to theallianceFastPitch.com and follow us on all of our social media platforms. I, I want to go into, because um, on-deck softball is the most, I don't even want to say one of the most, the, the most trusted um, in regards to player evaluation and scouting. And I mean, if if Derek Alistair calls a college coach, they're they're listening when when he's talking about a player. And I, I think you guys have built and earned that reputation. There's an art that goes into evaluating talent. What I guess, like, when did you notice? Um, or let's go back. When did you first get into the scouting side and the player evaluation side? What is the origin story? How did that start with on deck softball? Yeah. Um... When I was coaching basketball, you know, the basketball world was very sophisticated when it came to recruiting. Softball was not. Um, Joanne was an assistant at Stephen F. Austin. She'd go out to tournaments, and um, I would say, well, what are you going to do? And she goes, watch games. And I said, is there somebody helping you, you know, like organizing you, letting you know who the good players are, et cetera, et cetera? And she goes, no, we just watch. And that was very different from basketball where you had all these scouts and stuff. And so I used to always tell her that it would be fun to scout for softball someday. So when I got out of the game and we moved to Lake Tahoe, we just decided to give it a try. And uh, we talked to Connie Clark. She was one of the first ones. And then Lonnie Alameda and... We said, hey, if we do this, would you support us? And they said, absolutely, we'll, we'll support you. So um, we wrote up some sample reports, gave it to a couple other people. It was met enthusiastically. And then we just started going out to tournaments. And we'd spend the weekend watching kids play. And then we would send our report that weekend to our five coaches. And our coaches were Connie, Lonnie, and John, Lonnie Alameda and John Rittman, Teresa Wilson up at Washington, Jay Miller, who Heather played for at Missouri, and Lou Harris <coughs> at Georgia. And pretty soon their friends were inquiring how they could get involved. Then it became friends of friends, you know, and now it's schools all over the country. But you know, I, I guess there's an art to it. I take a lot of my basketball background and apply it. I, I, I honestly believe that great athletes move in certain ways. Um, they can do certain things. And if you watch closely, you can tell who those great athletes are. And then when you couple that athleticism with the skill set, 
you know, then it seems pretty obvious, you know, who might be able to play. Now, I will say this. In basketball, we used to always say one man's food is another man's poison. So it's not a definitive statement about a kid. It's just one man's opinion. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a valued opinion. I'm sure I miss in certain areas and the college coaches know that. And providing I'm missing consistently, that's probably all right. But I think athletes move a certain way. High-level softball players do certain things that you can spot. And then it's a matter of can they put the barrel on the ball? Can they throw it? You know, those sorts of things. You know, I know you could run. I know you could run. Um, you could run and get it. Uh, you know, so it, it doesn't seem really hard at that point. But, you know, how much of an art is it? I don't know. You know, it just seems sort of easy to me. How long does it take you if you walk up to a field and a game's going on and you look at a player? Approximately how long does it take you to, to figure that out? It takes a while because if they come up and they smoke it, but they got a pitch right down the middle, you know, there's a lot of players that can do that. So, you know, I'm really looking for the kid who comes up and gets a low and away pitch and smokes it to the opposite field, even if the right fielder catches it. If it's a good bat plane, um, bat path, good hand path, she goes away with it. Then it's like, whoa, you know, that's much more impressive than the kid who gets one piped and hits a 220. You know, there's a lot of people who can do that. So it takes a while. It, it takes some, you know, some observation. Um, you know, it's hard in softball, and I would imagine baseball, to recruit because the chances you're given to shine can be few and far between. Um, you know, who, who can I say this about? Patrick Murphy, you know, might walk up to a game and be looking at a shortstop. And the kid might only get a couple of routine ground balls, if any. The pitcher might never give them a pitch they could hit. So then Patrick's like, you know, I don't know if the kid can play or not. In basketball, we can watch him run around. We can watch him play defense. Um, we can watch him shoot. You know, basketball is much easier. Um, baseball and softball, you're really at the mercy of, you know, what sort of opportunities that kid gets at that moment. So it makes it hard. So you have to watch for all sorts of things. <clears throat> when I'm at a game, I try to watch for everything. In between innings, how fielders are fielding the ball, how they're throwing it, um, watching the outfielders, the center fielder, how she throws the ball back towards the dugout, you know, at the conclusion of a um, half inning or whatever. I, I'm trying to watch everything. And... Um, you know, that, that's the only way you can do it. That's so interesting. And that's true, right? Everything, people are always watching, right? Of every yeah. moment on the field. What's your, because you you have your, your jamborees and your events with on deck and you, you get to get in front of parents and athletes. What's probably the most important thing or that you tell them, especially right now in the recruiting period? What's your, what's your biggest advice to athletes when it comes to recruiting? Um, this almost is a cliche, but, um, but I, I just think it's true because it spills into so many different areas. I, I think you have to embrace and have fun with the process, um, and understand it's a process. You know, kids are going out looking for exposure, you know, freshman, sophomore years. If you had told me that Heather was going to play at Missouri and Jess was going to play at Stanford when they were sophomores in high school, I would have laughed. You know, it would have been like, there's no way. Um, but it happened because they just kept working and developing. And so it worked for them. Um, but you can't force that process. It's going to evolve the way it is going to evolve. So you might as well embrace it and work with it and enjoy it 
because it's a great process. Um, I think it teaches so many things about life, you know, as far as hard work and competition. So I, I think the kids who worry about it excessively fight it. Um, you know, those are the kids who are going to struggle. Um, I think if you just accept the fact that you're on a path and you do what you can control, you get to be the best athlete you can be, you work with the best coaches you can work with, you play at the highest level you can play at, and, and then you see what happens, um, you know, and you have fun with it along the way. I love that. You guys have helped a lot. On Deck has helped a lot of players get noticed and maybe some that wouldn't have been noticed any other way. If you look back at, at the history of On Deck, what are you most proud of that, that you and, and Joanne and, and everybody at On Deck have done? I, I think we've really stayed true to our core values. Um, you know, On Deck through the years all the way back to 2021 because that's when we started. Um, we're, we're still the same company. We still do the same things. Um, we've made adjustments. We've grown a little bigger, but we still do the same things. There's a personal touch. Um, I still talk to parents. I email with parents. Every parent who's with on deck knows that if they really need me or Joanne or Heather, that they can get to us. You know, and, and so I think that personal touch, the core values of just hard work and selflessness and those sort of things, we've really done a good job of staying true to those things. And um, and I often say that if we ever waver from that, we'll shut it down. And, and I honestly, you know, believe that, that we'll never waver from those core values. I love that. It sounds like some things you and I have, have talked about recently. I want to uh, I want to stay on on player evaluation, but pivot more to to how you've really helped us with the alliance. And I'm going to say this on record, but Derek, you've just you've been a blessing to to be a part of, of the alliance from the very beginning. And I know I'm I'm super appreciative of everything that you've done. And, and one of the the biggest roles is really spearheading our our all star committee. And, you know, the we're in our third season now, and I look at the history of our two all-star classes, and it's impressive from Emma Limley, who uh, ACC Player of the Year, Bree Ellis, SEC, or Freshman of the Year, sorry. Now Jordan Woolery, who was just named the, the Pac-12, Nyjah Kennedy. I mean, there's so many players that, that clearly there's our, our all-star committee is, uh, is doing it right. Can you talk about the all-star committee who's on it and what that process looks like. Can you give people a glimpse into those meetings? Cause I don't even attend those meetings, but can you kind of share a little bit about who that committee is? Yeah. Um, for, first I'm going to say about the Alliance, you know, I appreciate the kind words, but that's always a two way street. I, I literally look forward to each week where we get to jump on the phone and have these meetings. Um, various meetings. Um, I enjoy them because we're working with good people. And, you know, it, it's never a drag to get on a meeting or a Zoom call. And people will never know how many meetings you've been through, how many meetings I've been through, and I pale in comparison to you. Um, but it's never a drag when you when you're working with good people who have the best interests of the game at heart. And um, and I really believe that. So, you know, that that's a two-way street. All that we've given to the Alliance, I feel the Alliance has given back to us. And, um, and, and we really appreciate that. As for the uh, All-Star Committee, it's made up of a great group of people. Um, Jazz Jackson with Impact Gold, Kevin Shelton with Texas Glory, Ryan Taylor with the Aces, Jim Hecker with the Louisville Lady Slugger, Susie Willemson with Virginia Glory, myself, Jim Barcelona just came on board. And then we have other people who chip in, chime in periodically. 
because we rely on them to help us make choices. And what we do is we simply compile a watch list. And um, from that watch list, it goes back to the leagues and the leagues vote for, um, you know, the best players. And then we go league by league and take what we call the no-brainers, the kids who receive all the votes. And usually, you know, out of 40 kids that we have or 40 players for the All-Star game, usually by the time we get done with those no-brainers, you know, we're at 28 or 30. And then we start searching around for those other kids that people might not really know. Like there was a um, situation one year when TJ Geltz from the Tampa Mustangs had told me about a kid up in the Northeast who was really good. Her name was Jenna Laird. And um, I investigated her. I didn't know her, but I made a lot of calls about her, found out that she was the real deal. And then Jenna becomes part of this whole process. You know, so uh, it's a long process. It's an involved process. The, The committee members are super people who really have the best interests of the game at heart. It's amazing how often I will say to Jazz or Ryan or Kevin or Jim or Susie, hey, one of your kids is better than you're giving them credit for. You know, don't, you know, don't hold back on a kid just because they're your kid. And so I think it's a very fair, um, it's as fair and impartial as, as it could ever be. And that's just a tribute to the character of um, Susie, Jim, Ryan, Kevin, Jazz, etc. Did you know less than 10% of high school softball players go on to play college softball? The recruiting process can be hard and confusing. That's why the Alliance Fast Pitch partnered with the best in the recruiting game, NCSA. NCSA has been a leader in college athlete recruiting for over 20 years and has helped more than 250,000 Student-athletes make commitments to their college choice. NCSA provides innovative tools to help athletes through online education and performance training, expert recruiting guidance from former college softball coaches who've actually been there, data-driven college college matching tools, and access to more college softball coaches than any other college recruiting service. And get this, Alliance members get 50% off NCSA Team Edition and NCSA services. Yes, 50% off all recruiting services and products from NCSA just for being an Alliance member. And trust me, I've asked. The Alliance is the only partner with this 50% off discount for our members. Take advantage of this Alliance membership benefit. Get the edge on recruiting. To see what NCSA has to offer, visit thealliancefastpitch.com, click on Partners, and find NCSA. NCSA, the smart way for coaches, clubs, and athletes to win at college recruiting. I, I love that. And I get the, um, I don't attend the meetings, but I get the the minutes from those meetings. And I, that's a story I want to tell people. It's real. There's real conversations. It's ongoing and it's a year round process, but shout out to our all-star committee because of the national freshman of the year watch list for this season for 2023, 11 of those 25 athletes were Alliance all-stars last year. And I just like, I, that gives me goosebumps. And I, I just saw, um, Mia, da- Maya, Maya Davis, um, freshman of the year for her conference, Jordan Woolery, and, and a couple haven't come out yet, but it's just impressive of, of what that committee, who are a couple athletes this year, Derek, because by the time we release this, our all-star will be announced who give me, give me two athletes that jump out to you that people should get to know their names. Oh man, you really caught me off guard there. Um, and to come up with specific things, I would feel bad if I missed one. I don't know. I, I'd have to think on that one, Jamie. I, I hate just to blurt it out and have a really good player. And yeah, boy, I we'll come I back to it. We'll, we'll come back to it. I, I'm going to switch to another committee. We're, we just put Derek to work over here. Our our AFCS. Alliance Fast Pitch Championship Series, when when we built our national championship, 
there were a couple of things that were really important. Number number one was that you have to earn it. Teams have to qualify. Every team has to qualify every single year to get into that event. And then we really wanted to shape it like the NCAA softball postseason because that's really what we're preparing for, right? We're, we're preparing these young girls for what they're going to face at college and division one, division two, they, they all go through a certain style of postseason. I, I always say, you know, learning how to beat a team twice is really, really difficult. And, and we're putting kids through that and I'm super proud of it. So they, in our format, you start in regionals, then you advance to super regionals, elite eight, and then the best two out of three. But the important part is going into the regionals, we have a, we have seats. And we have a seating committee that takes all the the objective data and, and looks at those resumes. And that committee is led by you. So can you talk again about the, the seating committee and who's on it and, and what that process looks like when you're evaluating all the age divisions um, to determine those top 16, top 32 seeds? Yeah, boy, that's a chore. There's a stretch of about a week. Whew, it's brutal. Um, you know, to get through all that seating. But it's something that I really believe in. Um, I think it offers the best chance for the best teams to move forward. Uh, every person who's been in the alliance that I that I know um, raves about the format once they've been there. Some, some other people question the format and like the blind draw and all. But um, once they're in it and competing for that championship, it feels different. It's different than just your regular tournament-like situation. This is true competition going towards who you know who's the best. Um, and and even you know Bob Perales with the Sting, who I don't know what his highest finish was, maybe in the thirties. You know, after the first year, he just was like, Derek, this is a great format. You know, and he lost pretty early, relatively early. Um, but he just really thought the format was great. And, and I'll never forget that first year in Oklahoma City when Marty Tyson and the Corona Angels were in an if game to move on. And it was either do or die. And the intensity at that game was just amazing. I'll never forget last year, um, a little team out of Washington, the AI Bandits, had a pitcher, Gracie Ring, and her twin sister, Chloe, who was the catcher. And they were taking Mercado Hovermel's team down to the wire and ended up beating them, sending them to the Platinum Division. And, you know, we all know Mercado's Athletics are one of the top programs in the country. Um, Hovermel's team had a great, great team. But here was this Gracie Reed just battling it out and, uh, and ended up beating them two to one, I think. And she struck out the two, three, and four hitters to close out the game with runners in scoring position. You know, so the format is just unbelievable. If, if you haven't been there, you know, it, it's just an unbelievable format. So what we do on the committee, we try to make use of as many voices as we can with reason, within reason. Um, Krista Crawford, judge from Triple Crown, um, she's on that committee. Paul Nakama, who works with the Irvine Sting, and is just simply one of the best people in this game. Um, he's on the committee. Oh, who else? Jim Barcelona is on the committee. Um, and, and what we do is we get start getting together early and figuring out kind of where teams um, might be. We look at the league standings. We look at the power ratings. Um, we look at their results in different events. And we start start sorting them out. Who might be rising to the top? Who might be sinking, you know, a little lower? And um, and then we just get to work. Um, but during that process, 
we're on the phone with people in a region. You know, we might be evaluating the Texas teams and we'll be on the phone with the Texas people saying, how would you compare this team to that team? Um, I might be on the phone with um, Power Search, asking them how they would compare one of Sean Brashear's teams to one of Mike Stiff's teams. Um, so we try to cross-check a lot of things, um, pull a lot of people into the process. Um, but ultimately, we have to make some tough decisions, you know, as to who goes where. But I tell you, I think it's worked out pretty well over the course of these two years. I, I would say so, too. And what I love, Derek, is if there ever are any questions, which we've had them, right, of, of a coach that is questioning the, the seating, you'll pick up the phone and, and talk to them. What are a couple – And so if I'm a coach and I'm – it's happened, right? We don't have to say their names, but it's happened in the past couple of years. What are your biggest points to, to those coaches? Yeah, and, and I don't – that doesn't bother me. It's like crazy parents. Crazy parents don't bother me. We all love our kids, you know. Crazy coaches don't bother me either because we're all competitive and we want to get in there and, you know, do what's best for our team. <clears throat> so um, so we've had two or – well, I, I think there's three that I can remember, which isn't bad for, mm-hmm. you know, two years having three – people, you know, really a little uh, upset. And they weren't all that upset. They were great with the process. But what I do right away is um, I tell them, number one, our heart's in the right place. Um, That it's not a good old boy system. Um, It's the farthest thing that you can find from that. Um, So I tell them our hearts are in the right place. We're trying to do what's best. then they usually ask, well, how did we end up here? And then I tell them how they ended up there, right or wrong. And they can say, well, what about this? And I can say, well, you never reported those scores. So we didn't know about that. Or um, or your league did this or didn't do this or whatever. So we just have a heart-to-heart conversation about that. And then we can agree to disagree or we can agree or whatever. You know, it is what it is. And then lastly, I invite them to join us in the process. You know, and um, some do, some don't. But, you know, if, if you're on the outside just complaining and not willing to get involved with the process, then that's kind of crummy. You know, so if you want a better process, get involved. And, um, and so we actually have a couple more people who are going to join us in the consulting role for some Midwest teams um, this year. So that's, that's all it comes down to, that we're sincere and our hearts are in the right place. <coughs> we are not placing people as part of the good old boy system. You know, that, that was clear from your direction at the beginning that we did not want to go in that in that way. Um, then we discuss how their team got where they got, and then it's like, will you help be, you know, help make us stronger, not just moan and groan, you know, on the outside. And um, and usually people respond to that, you know. So far they have. Everybody has. Um, I, I think we've left those conversations feeling good about where we are. And, um, and I hope that continues. I think it's so important for our sport to, to just hear from you who's in, and I love that process too, because I, we trust you and to know that, Hey, we're handing this over to Derek Allister to really oversee this. This isn't even, I'm not involved in that. I don't even coach a team, but you know, and I can give some direction and, and watch, but it's truly, you know, there's, there's a committee that's looking at this. And at the end of the day, you got to get on the field and compete, right? And you got to go and earn it. Your seed is your seed. And obviously that helps with some matchups, but you, you got to go compete. And that's been a lot of fun to watch. You hit on a couple of my favorite matchups that we've seen so far. And then 
obviously at the 14s and 16s, sometimes it's a little bit harder because we don't yeah. get to see them as much, but still every single effort is made to do that. I want to get a, um, I want to get a scouting report from you, Derek, on, because there's so many stories out there or myths, you know, about, and I think we unfortunately live in a pretty distrusting culture in youth softball. And it's part of the reason and things we want to change, but can you give a scouting report? You sit on, I don't think people realize how many meetings that we have, but every single Wednesday we meet and it is, you know, probably 15, 16, 20 people from across the country. And we're constantly having conversations. We've had adversity, you know, we've talked about different things and had some tough conversations um, can you give a scouting report on, on the Alliance fast pitch uh, and what you've seen so far in, in almost three seasons? Oh, man, that's an interesting question. On the, on the Alliance fast pitch itself. Yep. If a lot of what I'm probably going to say isn't going to make much sense um, because you would have to know particular situations so you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Okay, it's just a matter of trust. Um, the Alliance fast pitch, one of, because we, when scouting reports come about, we discuss strengths and weaknesses. And so I'm going to talk about the weaknesses first. One of the inherent weaknesses of the Alliance is we have a lot of people and people are given a voice. And in those meetings of 20 plus people that we have on Wednesdays or the meetings on Tuesday when it's a smaller group with the board of directors or whatever, um, it's often hard to move a group forward. And especially when you're truly giving them the voice. So I, I think an inherent weakness of the system is when there are a lot of voices, it can take a long time to work through issues and move the ship forward. Um, but I think if you care enough, you'll put in the time. And that's what the Alliance has done. So while that might be a weakness, it becomes a strength because anybody can have their say at the Alliance, uh, we value that. We don't dismiss it. Uh, and there have been some knockdown, drag out fights, you know, where people get a little sideways and, you know, the group kind of brings them back together and moves them along. Um, so, so to move the ship forward and keep it pointing in the right direction, it, it takes a lot. Uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of emotional energy. Um, so I think that's a weakness, but it also becomes a strength. I think a tremendous strength um, it, of the Alliance and people, I don't know whether they don't want to hear it, or they don't believe it, or they can't believe it because so much of the world doesn't work this way. But at the top level, you have a group of people who are sincerely interested in the good of the game, in moving the game forward. And I'm talking selfless people, selfless people who just um, believe in what we're doing, believe in the mission, believe in the core values, and do not sit up there promoting their organization. And I'm talking about some of the strongest, most powerful people in this game at the travel ball level. Um, I said this at the winter meetings last December. We spent probably an hour or more talking about the umpires and how to help the umpires do a better job. When, when does that ever happen? Okay, we took and spent an hour and a half talking about how some of the big organizations could support one of the smallest leagues. When does that happen? Okay, um, I'm telling you, there are 
there are some of the top names in this sport who every week get on those calls and exhibit some of the most selfless, um, charitable, positive, you know, opinions um, and trying in trying to help move the sport forward and help others um, move forward and come join them. Tremendous strength for the people involved with the Alliance. Um, I would give them a five-star rating. They can definitely possibly be an All-American someday. That's kind of how we raise kids. Um, so that that's a positive. <laughs> I think the, um, the championships are a tremendous positive. Um, there are still some things we're searching for because we want to have some um, things in place for people who don't feel comfortable or might not be making the championship series. What can we provide for them? So we haven't put all the pieces together. The puzzle's not quite together yet. Um, so that's a weakness, you know, right now. It's something we're working on. But hopefully we'll keep working on that, you know, for years to come and just make it better and better. So, so that would be my scouting report. I would say we're on a good track. Um, we're young. Um, you know, we haven't been going at it that long, but uh, we have great potential, you know, and we just got to clean a couple things up. I will take it. I like, I love it. I, that was kind of an impromptu as well to say the scouting report, but I think it was perfect for, for your uh, expertise, but we're on a trajectory for all American status. So I will take that, but I, I do truly appreciate it because um, you, know, you and I are probably two of the most neutral people in there and that we, we don't have teams or, or current athletes participating. We don't coach. And um, I try to tell everybody cause I, I'm fueled by the people uh, around us with the Alliance. And obviously I get to, you know, I'm full time into this thing and, and get to lead it. But um, I just think it, it's something truly special and, and the people in it really, really care and people, they can see our faces right now. Right. And, and that it's genuine. It's super genuine. So I, I appreciate that. I'm going to put you on the, the hot seat one last time, rapid fire. I want to end this way. First name that, that comes to mind. And I know some of these might, might be a little tough, but we're going to go to, to players, back to players and, and your time in evaluating softball players. Who's the most athletic softball player that you've evaluated at the time when she was, you know, a travel ball player and going through on deck? Who personality wise, I, I'm not like a rapid fire um, person. Okay. The best athlete, Jazz Rollins, the second baseman for Arizona State was crazy athletically. She was crazy athletically. Um, but again, you want one name. Grace Lyons had, threw the ball 72 miles an hour as an eighth grader. Wow. You know, um, just off the top of my head, I, I would say Jazz Rollins is one of the greatest athletes, pure athletes number-wise, that we've, that we've ever tested. What about at, at travel ball and, and take their college career out of it, but who's one of the best travel ball players that you've ever watched? One of the, one of the best travel ball players. One of the best travel ball players ever. Oh man. 70 years old, the memory. Um, you know, th that's hard because, because there's so many different facets of the game. Um, and there's different eras now. Uh, Dallas Escobedo, unbelievable pitcher, even his young age. Uh, Sierra Romero, Maya Brady, um, Nigel Kennedy, a great pitcher. Um, best travel ball player. Those are pretty good. I would. What, what about a, a player that maybe you missed on that surprised you that maybe you didn't 
evaluate her correctly in travel ball, and then she's gone on to have a, a great oh, man, college you are, you are crushing me here, Jamie. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. This, this makes me think. Um, I didn't think um, our, our girl center fielder for Oklahoma. Jada Coleman? Jada. I wasn't sure how she was going to translate to the next level. As a left-handed shortstop, um, she could run. Um, I wasn't sure how much better she was going to get. And Jada, we love you, girl. You know, if you're listening or, you know, you're obviously one of the greatest players in the history of the game. I probably didn't give her enough credit uh, back in the day. And what she's done has been truly, truly remarkable. It's Big 12 Player of the Year. And it, it's a little difficult. Players. I think people probably don't know that, too, that she played middle infield yeah. <laughs> growing up, yeah. too, as a lefty. Derek, what about bring it back to you to to close it out? But what what do you want your legacy to be when you when you step away from this game and, and Aspen is is playing? Um, I guess either what do you want to what do you want your legacy? What do you want to see in softball? You know, obviously we'd like to keep on deck going as long as it's doing what it needs to do and um, stays true to its core values. You know, really, I, I, I would just want to be known, you know, as a good guy who tried, you know, um, who maybe affected the sport a little bit and helped some kids and parents and coaches. You know, nothing more than that. Just, just that I was somebody with a good idea. Um, with a good background. You know, I was a teacher. I was a basketball coach. I was a dad, a husband. All that stuff came together for on deck. You know, at different parts of my life I taught, coached basketball, was a dad, husband. But everything came together for on deck. And, um, and I feel very blessed to, you know, to have those experiences, but really just to be a good guy who helped the game, helped some people, um, and, and always thought good of people and, um, and tried to do what was right. I think you, uh, I think you've nailed that one speaking for myself, but uh, I, I appreciate you, Derek and, and everything that you guys do. I wish, um, I wish I could go back. I want to know what my Alistair, index would have been and I was probably a kid that would have been helped out big time by you guys because I came from a small town in Texas and didn't play travel ball so I, I wasn't even playing travel ball so I was a junior in high school so maybe I can come actually you don't want to see my scores right now but maybe <laughs> <laughs> I tell you we love those stories though of kids who came out of nowhere um you know Alyssa DiCarlo the great shortstop for Georgia, she came to a tryout and um, as a right fielder, and I made her field some ground balls, and um, and her talent was obvious, and so we brought her to Mount Sac, and as she was walking up, there were a lot of coaches there by that time as she was getting there, and um, I saw her coming, saw her and her mom. And I went down there to greet him. And I said, okay, you're going to play shortstop today. And she said, no, Mr. Alistair, I think I'm going to play outfield, just outfield. And I said, nope. I go, if you're not going to play shortstop, turn around and leave. We'll refund you your money. Um, but you're not going to be in this camp unless you play shortstop. And within 20 minutes of that camp starting, I had SEC Pac-12 coaches asking about her. Make a long story short, she went to Georgia on a full ride. She became an All-American shortstop. Great hitter, great player, great person. Um, you know, I love those stories. We love finding those kids from those little areas uh, 
or kids who hadn't gotten the recognition maybe they deserved and, and putting them in front of everybody and maybe changing their lives. I love it. I love it, Derek. Well, thank you for what you do. Thanks for hanging out with me uh, in the car ride home. And I guess I'll, I'll see you next Tuesday in our meeting. Thanks. Good to see you. You got a game to get to. Hey, guys. We hope you're enjoying the Car Ride Home podcast. Hopefully we're filling the air and making your car ride home a little bit more enjoyable. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube, and leave us a review. If you have any special guest or request that you'd like to, to hear or have us bring a guest or a story onto the podcast, shoot us an email, info at the We'd love to hear from you. 